Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. John 16, verses 1 to 15. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you, are, you open our hearts to this passage. I pray that you open our hearts to the sermon today. May we be filled with your Spirit and know what you have come to teach us. In your name, amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, a wonderful reading there, and uh, one that I hope to just unpack as best I can. It's a great time of year. This is uh, Palm Sunday, if you uh, follow the church calendar. And if you don't, it was the time when the Jerusalem turned out, and Jesus approaches Jerusalem and children, and everyone cut palm branches and sang Hosanna, and it was a great day as Jesus comes on a donkey into the capital city. I was talking to a guy out on the gardens this morning who's at St. Peter's, and he said they're doing a round-the-church round the sort of little miniature parade. They haven't got a donkey, they're using a dog. I said, I hope it's a St. Bernard. He said, no, it's a tiny little one. I said, that's going to going to be quite interesting watching Jesus ride that one in. Um, but it is a wonderful time of year, um, and uh, what is interesting about this, this passage is that we're looking at today occurs between that Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, this dialogue that Jesus is having with his disciples. And uh, this is a time of year that I particularly love. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I love gardening. Uh, if you walk out on Buckingham Gate, you'll see some community gardens. And it was only literally like four or five months ago that we buried dead and buried bulbs, loads and hundreds of bulbs. And if you go out there this morning, you'll see life, resurrection, 
colour, beautiful tulips and daffodils, because after death comes life in the kingdom of God. I also uh, am an entomologist, and my, one of my hobbies is to take uh, butterflies, breed butterflies and moths, and so I, this time of year I'll get chrysalises, and they look like they are dead. You hold them in your hand, and they look like they are just dead as anything, just black little pupa. And yet I know, just with a bit of warmth and a little bit of spraying of water, that resurrection comes, metamorphosis, and these beautiful creatures, butterflies and moths, emerge, which are wonderful to behold. And so this morning, I'm, I'll be very, very upfront about this message. We are going to move to a ministry time of resurrection, because God is in the resurrection business. And if you need a resurrection this morning, you're in the right place. Because you may feel you're in death this morning, you might feel in despair this morning, you might feel that you're in a prison this morning of sin. Well, we want to get you to a place where you see from this scripture, this passage, there is life, Holy Spirit life to bring about resurrection, the life of God. I'm saying it up front so that you can respond to this message when I give an appeal rather than sit there thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure what, what I, I was surprised by what Guy said. So let me catch up. If you've got your Bibles open, it's, it, this is an incredible narrative that we're going through in, in, in John. And it begins, well, I'll, I'm going to begin back in uh, John chapter 14. The verses that begin John 14 are the verses we most often have read at, at a funeral service. So it's good to be reminded of resurrection. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Peter, in the few verses that end chapter 13, had thought, Jerusalem is the destination. Jesus is coming as the king, and he's going to kick out Rome. He's going to establish his kingdom, and his rule and reign is going to cover the earth. And yet, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, before you hear the cockerel crow, you're going to deny me three times. There's a lot of flesh in religion, a lot of boasting in religion. And Jesus puts Peter in his place and says, no, you don't understand what is just about to take place. And so he says, in my father's house are many rooms. And Thomas goes, um, sorry, sorry, so, so you're going beyond Jerusalem? You're going to your father's house? Can we have the postal code? Could you tell us exactly where the Father says? We don't, we don't know uh, the way. We can't read the signs. There's not many signs around Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, it, it's, it's confusing for them. And, and, and Philip goes, oh, I, I don't get this. Show us the Father. If you're going to the Father's house, show us the Father. That will be enough. And Jesus then goes to Philip, don't you know me? So it's an incredible narrative. Jesus says, I, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. And then he goes and promises I'm going to be in you. So it's a quite a sort of complex narrative that goes on in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. But the one thing that Jesus promises that comes again and again and again, is that Jesus is not going to leave the disciples, he's not going to leave the church as orphans. 
he is going to send another, one like himself, the promised Holy Spirit. And he said, it is better that I go because if I go, you, my people, can receive the promise of the Father, which is the life of the Holy Spirit. You and I are not meant to live a life of religion and rules. We're meant to live a life of resurrection, which is a life of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not living in the power and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit, we're not living the Christian life. And that's why this morning's title is, Behold, Death Comes Before Life. And this message this morning is important for this very reason. We're living in a post-Christian nation. When I grew up, Christianity was accepted. It was a good thing in the nation. It was good. Christ- I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't a Christian when I was growing up. But everyone knew that go to church, they're good people. They're good people. Then, not very many years ago, people became ambivalent. Well, we'll put up with them. The church, yeah, well, we'll put up with them. Now, we're the enemy. Now, it's very, very difficult to be a Christian today and just to even say, I believe the Bible, and not be regarded with a label and or attacked because you're anti this or not doing this and not singing to this tune. And so this message is really important for all of us because we need to embrace what Jesus is teaching about what happens to believers in this life. Suffering, hardship, difficulty, if we're to live in the power and dependency of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid, just want to be honest, very honest, I'm afraid of persecution. I think it's coming, I think it's here. I think most Christians in this room will be watching their P's and Q's, theologically speaking. And I don't think it will take very much for us to feel the full weight of attack from others who don't love Jesus Christ. And so, I want you to hear this message and then I want you to receive the Holy Spirit to empower you to live the life God wants us to. There are three things Jesus says to his disciples in the passage that was wonderfully read to us. So have the passage open in John chapter 16. And the first thing... I believe that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples that he wants to teach us is found in verse 3. They will do such things. They will persecute you. They will kick you out of church. They will kick you out of the synagogue because they have not known the Father or me. The first point that we need to understand is that Jesus says that people are blind. The very top religious establishment came to Jesus, stood in front of him, eyeball to eyeball, and they said to him, you have a demon. You are being controlled by the devil. They were able, uh, in, in so many ways, to uh, spot a theological gnat and yet miss a divine camel. 
They could look in the eyes of Jesus, in the beautiful, loving eyes of God incarnate, and they could be hostile to all the goodness that they saw. They couldn't see anything good about Jesus. They saw him as a threat, someone who could overthrow their established religious practice. And Jesus in Matthew 15, 14 says, leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads the blind, won't they both fall into the pit? It's, in a, it's a really funny little story, really, isn't it? That Jesus is challenging the people who say they knew the way to God, that they were actually blind guides. And he does it in a little sort of cameo saying, just think about it really naturally. You walk out of chapel. You're going down to the Victoria High Street. They've dug, because they're always digging up Victoria High Street. They've dug a huge great trench. It's 10 feet deep. It's 6 feet wide. There is one scaffold board across it, and that's it. The only way to cross Victoria is across a scaffold. It's safe enough. You can get across. And then you see a person with a blind walking towards Victoria Street. And you're thinking, wow, they need help. But then you spot another blind man coming and grabbing him by the arm and both walking towards the ditch, the trench. Ludicrous. They're never going to make it. They're going to fall. Both of them are going to fall. And Jesus is saying that was what religious leaders were like saying about the truth about God, knowing God as Father. They were blind guys. They had no way of understanding the way to the Father. We have many claiming to be guides in our society, inside and outside the church. Guides to God, guides to happiness, guides to popularity, guides to enlightenment. But many of them are blind. As we witness, as we tell our story, as we talk about a saviour, we will have many who scoff and ridicule and ask, okay, where is God? Where is God in this hurting world, this, God of, this world of war, this world of injustice, this world of sickness and cruelty? Where is God? And C.S. Lewis wonderfully says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But then I realized, how did I get this idea of just and unjust? A man doesn't call a line crooked unless he first see, has the, some idea of straight. The world out there is blind. We need to understand that. When we say, look at Jesus, look at God, look at the one who suffered on the cross, they're blind, they can't see it. If you say Christianity is good for the nation, they can't see it, they're blind. We need to understand that because we, we, we can't rely on our own understanding. We can't rely on our own strength to convince the world to become Christian. We need something greater, some greater power than us that can go at work in someone's life. The second thing Jesus told his disciples, and I want to see and let you see, behold suffering. It says there, all this I've told you so you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. 
The synagogue, read church for us, was the place of identity. It was the place of belonging for the Jew. It's it's, it's part of their community. It's part of their life. So for Jesus to say to these Jewish disciples, they're going to throw you out. You're going to be an outcast from that, that your community that you grew up as a kid in was shocking. They were losing their identity. They were losing their friends. They were losing their security. And Jesus says, that you will be accused falsely. We're living in a day of great accusation and false accusation. And actually, you will even die. Some will kill you because they think in killing you, they're offering a service to God. The road that they were walking down in following Jesus the way was an uphill road to Calvary for them. The road that you and I are walking on as Christians is a road of difficulty, of suffering, and even of death. Just come back from Asia. We are part, this church is part of a family of churches, meeting our Asian counterparts, meeting many of them who are telling me in that nation that they're in of imprisonment, of buildings, church buildings being burnt to the ground, of their children not being allowed to go to school, kicked out of school, in areas of great poverty, not being able to join the line of being given handouts, many of them being able to lift their T-shirts and showing on their backs the beatings of police, Why? Because they love Jesus Christ. It's the world we're living in, and it's the world Jesus spoke about. We need to understand that suffering is part of the journey. Part of the journey. Open Doors, when they were here just recently, they talked about another guy, a northern Nigerian pastor, smiling face on a screen who lost his family Then a year or so later, lost his church, and then they said just recently has lost his life. Everybody loves Jesus in the world until you define who he is. Hindus and Buddhists are happy with Jesus. If you say Jesus is just a great teacher or a prophet, well, the Mormon and the Muslim will love Jesus. But the minute you step across a line and say Jesus is more, that he is God incarnate. He is God with us. He is the savior of the world. He is the only way by which mankind can be saved and rescued to almighty God, our loving father in heaven. By that, at that moment, you cross a line and become a target, become an enemy. And so finally on this, behold, you need to behold death. Jesus is on his way to the cross. 
Jesus has stated over and over again in these verses that his destination is Jerusalem, but beyond Jerusalem, he is returning to his Father in heaven. And it's at Jerusalem this great exchange is going to take place. He's going to offer up his life. That's why the disciples try to stop him. No, you can't go there. You can't be crucified. You can't be executed. But Jesus says, unless I go, unless I make my way to that hill, Calvary, unless I die upon a cross for the sin of the world, the world can never be reconciled to Almighty God. Acts 13, through him, that is Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. You see, we have a sin problem in the world. I have a sin problem. You have a sin problem. We don't want God in our lives. And we make such a mess of our lives. We ruin our lives. We ruin the lives of others because of sin. Don't minimize sin this morning. Don't think that Jesus was doing some sort of great sort of a demonstration. He was dying for the sin of the world. There was no other person, no other one, because he was the perfect son of God. There was no other that could take the sin of the world upon his righteous soul and hang upon a cross and suffer and die for the sin of the world than Jesus Christ. He is the saviour of the world. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and might be living for righteousness. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John 3.16, the most well-known verse, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes on him shall never perish but have everlasting life. I just want to pause. Maybe you just pause for a second before we talk about the life of the Spirit because I believe... God wants to save people. People in this room are just witnesses to the resurrection life of Christ. We've experienced it. And I believe as God's spirit is at work in this room today, I want to ask you, are you today going to move from death to resurrection? Move from sin to life? Holy Spirit, go to work in any heart that is hard to you and bring about the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of God. And to the church of Jesus Christ, Westminster Chapel this morning, I want to just finish by saying, behold those three things. The world out there is blind. We will suffer and some will die but we're following the one who died and rose again. And he rose again in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit that is here present as I'm speaking this morning who wants to come into your life and give you resurrection life this morning. It says in verses, uh, in the next few verses, it says, Unless I go, Jesus says, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father 
when you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit's work is to convince the world of sin. It's to tell the world there is a judgment day coming when every evil act that's ever been perpetrated, everyone who's got away with it, will stand before a holy judge on that final day. The Holy Spirit is the one who goes to work as the gospel is preached, as we witness to tell the world that they are out of joint with God. They're sinners. Convince them about justice and righteousness. Convince them about judgment. As you share your testimony, as sermons are preached from platforms, there are two responses that happen. Acts 2.37 talks about the people, as they listened to Peter preach on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart. They were completely cut to the ground, undone. What must we do to be saved? How do we get right with this beautiful, righteous God? We're sinners. We can't ever approach him. And Peter says, repent, every one of you, and believe in the name of Jesus Christ for the washing away of your sin. That's one response. The other response is they ground their teeth. Acts 7.54, as Stephen shared his testimony, they covered their ears, they ground their teeth, they took him outside and they stoned him to death. The world is not ambivalent. Not your job, my job to try and convince someone to become a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. Our job is only to witness When you go out this week, there's no sort of whip, go on, share the gospel, make sure you get people saved. No, you can't save anybody. But in telling your story, the Holy Spirit comes on that. And for some, you're the fragrance of life. Tell me more, tell me more. But to others, you stink like a sewer. And they want to do away with you, marginalize you, ignore you, put you in a different box. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, convincing the world of sin. Secondly, leading you, leading you and I into truth. Verse 13, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Bible lives. These are the living words of a living God who speaks livingly to his people through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give his church a list of rules. He doesn't say, now that you've become Christians, it's over to you, and here's some 10 commandments. In fact, here's 50 commandments and see you get on. No, he says the only way... That's like, that's like saying to caterpillars... Put lollipop sticks on your back and jump off twigs to fly. Do you know I meet so many Christians like caterpillars with lollipop sticks on their back? They're trying so hard to please God. They're not doing this and they're not doing that and they're trying this and they've stopped alcohol and they don't go to cinemas. They're trying, 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 hoping God will approve them. You've already got God's approval. Jesus has died on a cross for you. There is no greater demonstration than this, that Christ died for you once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. 
That's the wonderful gospel. And now Jesus says, and how you live this life, he says this to the disciples, it's better that I go. It's better. Many of us don't believe that, but it is better that we have the Holy Spirit, God in us, than we have an outside Jesus. We have Christ in us in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that says, oh, don't go that way. The Holy Spirit leads us to the Bible. I read my Bible every day. Heather and I wake up in the morning, we read our Bibles. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit's at work because he wrote it and he goes, oh, that's good, isn't it? I say, yeah, it is good. You need to do that. Yeah, I do need to do it. You need to repent. Oh, yeah, I do. I need to repent. It's the Holy Spirit within me. I'm not trying to legalistically work myself up to God. I have God in me. And the Holy Spirit delights when I read the Word, delights when I memorize the Word, and delights when I obey the Word. He leads us into all truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, He empowers us for resurrection. Jesus in verse 20, we didn't read this this morning, but I, I just want to finish by reading this. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while well, the world rejoices. This is his cross. This is when Jesus is being crucified. The world rejoices that Christ died. His disciples wept and mourned. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of a joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. The Holy Spirit is the joy bringer. The Holy Spirit tells us the time between our grieving, our mourning, and the resurrection is a very short period of time. There are many in this room this morning, because of where chapel is this morning, where their hearts are troubled. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. There are many of you in this room who, who might be in a prison of sin. There's something that's controlling your life. You can't see any way out. You, you, you've been here before. You've turned over leaves and you're still in this prison. Jesus is in the resurrection business. He doesn't want you left in your prison cell of death. He wants to speak to you this Easter of resurrection life. There are people here in this room who are emotionally in a very poor place. Great sorrow. Great hardship. Great difficulty. And feeling like, I don't know how to get, how, how to, I, I don't even know what to do. You're in the right place. Because the Holy Spirit's here and he's the spirit of life. He's the spirit of hope. He's the spirit of peace. If you're not a Christian here this morning and you're in sin, God is the God of the resurrection. He is the God of the funeral and the resurrection. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm going to finish just by asking you a question. Do you need a resurrection this morning? Do you need a God, Holy Spirit resurrection of life? You're in the midst of this difficult time. You're thinking there's no way out. But Jesus says between his death and his resurrection is a very short term. Between their suffering and their misery and their, their, their sorrow 
and the joy of the Resurrection Sunday. It's a very short period of time. For those of you going through illness, those of you going through grief, those of you who are getting elderly, it's a very short period of time between our suffering and our new heaven and new earth and new bodies. It's a tiny little window of time. But we're not meant to live this morning under the circumstances. We're meant to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are listening, as the band comes up, if you are listening to this message this morning, you're saying, Guy, Holy Spirit, I need a resurrection in my life today. I need the power of the Holy Spirit bringing resurrection life to my life, my circumstances, my family, my church this morning. Why don't you just stand? I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. There should be many more of us. Many of, many of you are troubled. Many of you are troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There's a promise here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, be, don't live under trouble. Don't live in the prison. God is in the resurrection business. He's in the life business. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now you go to work at Westminster Chapel on this day, on this morning, in the lives of every one of us and those particularly who are standing. I pray whatever their circumstances, where there is sorrow, where there is hardship, where there is difficulty, where there is death, where there is suffering, I pray, Father, would you give your Holy Spirit today to your sons and daughters and may they come into the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. May they experience that in their situation right now in Jesus' name. Lord, where there has been the demonic that has held people, that has lied to people, that is holding people captive to sin, in the name of Jesus, we break that power and we say, Lord, let your resurrection life be released in our brothers and sisters. Lord, let there be freedom today. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. I pray, Holy Spirit, you go to work right across this church as we come back into worship. I pray, break the power of legalism and performance and bring us into the joy of what a Resurrection Easter, Resurrection Sunday is all about. Come, Holy Spirit, move in this church, Lord. May today be a, a, a day of joy as well as a day of hardship, a day of difficulties. I pray, lead us into those places of joy now. In the power of the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to worship. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.